We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius with Sasha in the booth. So... We first tried to record this podcast about uh, about a hundred minutes ago, right? And I just got back from this trip, which was wonderful. And I'll you know tell stories as as becomes appropriate throughout the podcast over the next few episodes when uh, when I can. Uh, but we haven't recorded for a little little while, and thank you for bearing with us on that. But when that happens, you know, you kind of <laughs> you you lose your rhythm. You you uh, don't quite have the feel for it that you do you know, when you're really doing it on a regular basis. So I, you know, open up this show with, you know, my what's up Laker fans and all that. And I can, I can barely get past the first sentence and then I forget my train of thought and all of this fun stuff. And then, uh, Darius and I just talked for like a hundred, you know, like an hour and a half or so. And it was cool, man. It was one of those, um, I guess I'm telling you all of this because just as a public service announcement, we all have those those people in our lives and our, our friends who you can just get deeper with than anybody else for whatever reason, right? Like you can just get deep into the weeds and really, you know, talk about some things. And uh, anyway, if you get a chance, reach out to those people because they are important to you. So anyway, with that kind of unconventional <laughs> intro, uh, while I was gone, Lakers signed Dwight Howard. Uh, Boogie got into some legal issues. They applied for the disabled player exception today of $1.75 million on that. Uh, had a nice piece by Chris Haynes come out on Anthony Davis and his role this year. So we're going to get to all of those. Uh, and if we have time, we're going to get to a couple of questions at the end. Uh, Darius, how you doing, man? I am good. I am good. 
That was certainly quite the intro. When you were talking about the people who were important in your life, I was wondering if you were going to talk about Dwight Howard. Jesus. Very dark. Very dark. No, so the last time that we recorded a podcast, it's, it's interesting, right? Because you and I sort of had a quick back and forth. DeMarcus Cousins had been injured, and you and I were sort of talking about potential options who the Lakers might turn to in free agency. And I think I had noted that one of my one of my preferences was Joe Kim Noah, a name that you had sort of brought up was maybe Kenneth Fareed. Mm-hmm. And then we both sort of bounced off the idea of Dwight Howard. And now the Lakers have actually signed Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. And while you were, you know, gallivanting in Europe and <laughs> I saw some of your pictures. Uh-huh. They were quite nice. Thank you. Thank you. Dwight Howard has been, you know, giving interviews. I saw clips of him today throwing the ball off the backboard mm-hmm. and dunking on an outdoor court by the beach. Out in Venice, yeah. California. Yeah. Yes, Legendary right? courts. And it's it's real now. Right. He's back. I had written this article um at Forum Blue and Gold about, you know, um Dwight Howard, once again, a future Laker, right? And, and, and how, you know, if you would have said that a decade ago, <laughs> Lakers fans' eyes would have gotten wide like saucers, right? right? And this right. idea of Dwight Howard. And then we actually had the Dwight Howard experience, and it ended sourly. I, like, I wrote this in that piece, but to me, the lasting memory of the Dwight Howard experience is actually sort of... um him walking off the court dejected after the Lakers got swept by the Spurs in the first round of the playoffs. And Tim Duncan is sort of leaning up against the scorer's table with this sort of laughing grin, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like he's in the background and Dwight's in the foreground with this sort of head, you know, hung dog. Right. It's that victory that like, you know, taking over the castle and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I'm not sure how much time you've had to reflect about Dwight Howard, but like freestyle for me yeah, for, man. for a second. So, what are your thoughts? So it happened like right before I was set to leave. And one of the things about, you know, a trip like that, I've always wanted to go to Europe. Like that's something that Rome, especially I grew up, you know, really as a history buff. And so this trip was always like, like, oh my God, I really want to do this someday before I die. And then I almost died, right, a few months ago. And so the idea of this trip, you know, I'm not, Lord knows I'm not swimming in money or anything, uh, but it was just like, I'm going to do this and we're going to make this this work. And so it was funny that, you know, as that news breaks, you're in this, I'm in, I'm in the middle of this kind of, you know, meditating on life and experiencing new cultures and all of that. And I just tried to think about like, all right, I've got all these issues with Dwight. I, it goes back to, you know, even before he was a Laker, just the whole, you know, Stan Van Gundy and just like the whole way about Dwight Howard as this really like fake dude. And it just really poured off of him in a way that you could, you know, if you have any radar for that, you really pick up, you know, that from from him because it's really in heavy doses. And so I, I try to think, you know, if I'm trying to sign someone like this, and what I just said there is, I think, pretty aligned with the general perception of him, right? And so what would be the reason why I would sign somebody like that? And 
this is what I came up with. I'm curious to, to hear what your reaction is to this is I think you sign a guy like Dwight Howard when you don't think you have quite enough of all of the guys. And this is rare for a, a guy who's available at that point of free agency. Like talent is not the problem with Dwight Howard. So it's all of this off the court stuff. So if I'm attracted to that talent, the reason, you know, they, I, I'm trying to go for that higher ceiling, right? If I think that I have enough, I'm going to sign the dude that's solid that I know I'm going to be able to to depend on him, right? I don't even really have to think about him. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, that's a, a Joe Kim Noah, right? Like Noah is going to be this solid ninth man type of guy for 10, 15 minutes a night, but I know who he's going to be. I'm going to be able to depend on him. That's the guy I sign if I have enough. If I think I need a guy who's going to get a random like 18 and 12 in a game three because he just has it on that night and he's got the talent to be able to do that and then I'm going to need that somewhere down the line, if not multiple times in the playoffs, that's the guy that I'm going to sign. And I don't, I don't know if I'm just BSing to tie it back to another belief that I have that the Lakers don't quite have enough, but that of the, you know, thinking about the Dwight signing over the last couple of weeks, that's where I arrived. And I'm curious to hear your reaction to that. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it was probably one of the reasons they took a similar chance on DeMarcus Cousins. Mm-hmm. Right. And when mm-hmm. you realize that Dwight Howard is that's the player who Dwight Howard is effectively replacing, it makes a lot of sense that they would go for a higher upside player rather than someone who is, you know, maybe a more steady type of guy with not quite as high peaks, but potentially not nearly the same valleys mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think you're spot on about. Maybe them not having enough. I don't know if Dwight's going to be the difference maker in that regard. And if he needs to be, then that's pr- problematic mm-hmm. for the Lakers. And, and I think we'll get into that a, a little bit more in a minute. But when when it, when it comes right down to it, I remember you you had talked about you were really excited to having um davis and and boogie cousins Mm -hmm. pairing again right you had done this long video uh, (laughs) right and Uh and you had just sort of fallen in love with the player that the marcus cousins was and and sort of just this immense talent that he possesses right and everything that he could bring to the court and how all of that could blend in with this specific Lakers roster and, and and how if he made it back to some semblance of what he was physically, how he could probably be a difference maker for this team. Mm-hmm. If not nightly, then in that same sort of vein that you just mentioned potentially with like a guy who could get you 18 and 12 in, mm-hmm. in DeMarcus Cousins' case, maybe, you know, a handful of assists too or whatever, right? right? And and so with a guy like Dwight Howard, I think that the Lakers are are clearly going about it from that standpoint of let's take a chance on a high risk player and we will sort of cushion those chances or that chance with all of these factors that mitigate the risk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the the contract that he, they signed him to was a very like we are aware of the issues that you have, and we are trying to build in these building these mechanisms to dissuade you from acting that way. 
It is the ultimate team-friendly contract. Mm-hmm. It's non-guaranteed. It's a minimum contract. Basically, what I wrote about it was that they have signed Dwight Howard to a deal where he will still be on the team if they get a version of him that is worth still being on the team. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because simply if put. he's not, they will waive him. Mm-hmm. And it will basically be – and the amount of money that they will probably pay him is a night of concessions at Staples Center. <laughs> right. Right. Right? I'm, I mean, or parking. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. So I think that they've done everything they can from a risk management standpoint besides just not signing him at all, right, mm-hmm. to, to, to sort of say – this is what the deal is. You're either going to be, I quote unquote, on your best behavior or th- there's the door. Right. And apparently they've made that abundantly clear to him. Dwight Howard has said all of the right things. Now, you were on the media conference call mm-hmm. with him. What impression did you get from him in oh. terms of sincerity and where he's at mentally and a lot of sort of those initial sort of um, impressions about him. I I got the impression of a person who is a little beaten down. I I, I don't want to make him. You know, he's a he's made probably probably what nine figures in his career, probably a good hundred million dollars. I also don't want to act like that's not still a person making that type of money. Sure. And money doesn't solve all problems, and we know that. Right, but and 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 along those lines, like I got, I got a, like somebody who's just kind of tired and trying to just like get through it, you know. Like he knows this is what he's supposed to be doing and playing basketball, and, and that's not to say that he doesn't have enthusiasm for playing it or anything. I just picked up really heavily that that's a guy. I'll just put it this way: he's gone through a lot. That's the sense that I got from talking to him on the phone, and he's trying to make the best out of the situation. Now, with his particular issues of in terms of like being fake, and and the you know struggles he's had in locker rooms in the past like the the way you get back to the way you get beyond that like people can change that's one of the things that was uh you know, a topic of discussion leading up to the signing was like, you know, can a guy post 30, he's, you know, going to be, I think, 34 in December or November. Can a guy like that, like, have some revelation all of a sudden? And now he's no longer the Dwight Howard that he was that was problematic in these other stops and had, you know, difficulties in the locker room. How do you get from point A to point B? So can it happen? How do you get there? And for me, like it, it becomes you have to have the realization of sort at first to be able to be like, oh, like not only am I a jackass, this is why I'm a jackass. That's a thing that for all of us as people, like the ability to go, hey, why am I a jackass? The ability to recognize that is the first step to being able to, to resolve that. So does that happen with a guy like Dwight Howard? I didn't get enough from that phone call to be able to pick that up. I got more of the just this is a guy who's been through a lot and is trying to get through it. Yeah. So as recently as Dwight's stop in Charlotte, right, he was still considered sort of um, a franchise cornerstone type of player. 
right? So Dwight went from the Lakers to Houston. He went from Houston, I believe, to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And then from Atlanta to Charlotte, right? And so, and Charlotte was the last place where he played where he was under sort of um, the type of contract that paid him the amount of money, I believe, that would have put him on par with like a superstar type player or or an all-star caliber player, mm-hmm. right? After that, he went to Brooklyn in a trade. He got waived, I think. Then he went to Washington. Washington mm. then traded him to Memphis. Mm-hmm. And then Memphis waived him. Right? Right. And so he did not get much playing time in Washington. He was hurt, basically. I think he played, what, like a handful of games last mm-hmm. season? We have not really seen Dwight Howard play under circumstances as sort of a fallen star or as a faded star. I think Mm -hmm. we might have gotten that opportunity last year in Washington Mm -hmm. where a pecking order would have been established with him clearly behind John Wall and Bradley Beal, Mm -hmm. right? Not only from um, in, in his prime sort of perspective, but from a salary perspective as well. He is no longer the stars of the league and that is reflected by salary, those players are no longer his peers. Mm, That's a good way of putting it. I like that. So I'm very interested to see how that manifests itself as well here with the Lakers, considering he is just another guy on a minimum salary contract, right? And on a certain level, I think the same way of Rajon Rondo, Mm, right? mm -hmm. Because, you know, last year Rondo made $9 million, Mm-hmm. This year, he's on a minimum contract, mm-hmm. right? Guys on minimum contracts can just be waived. Right. Teams do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's just how it goes. You are the most disposable you will ever be at that salary. And it's one of the reasons why players are in the NBA are very reluctant to take a minimum salary mm-hmm. because once you take a minimum a minimum salary once it's very hard for you to bounce back and then become again a 10 million dollar player right right just from a a team dynamic standpoint the pecking order is very clear Dwight Howard is not an in his prime superstar he's not even making as much money as Quinn Cook <laughs> right he may have the name recognition and he may be a former defensive player of the year and a former MVP can candidate and a former eight or nine time all-star or whatever he was and a dunk champion and all of these other things on this team. He is a role player. And when I listened to um, the audio from his phone call press conference with Lakers media, I I got the same sense that you got, sort of this idea of a player who is beat down and is sort of um sort of forced to come to grips with a new stature in right. the league. That's what it is, yes. Right? I get the sense that he understands that hmm. and that he wants to buy into that if he actually does is 
the open question still for me. And and we won't know until we see it in my That's the thing that's the thing is like that's something that like saying it and doing it are totally different things, right? It's easy to be like I know my role, I'm going to be able to fit in. Dwight Howard has been a star his whole life. Right. And on, on every team he's been on, he's been one of the two or three most important guys, usually the most important guy for more than half of his career. He was the best center in the league for a, for what, a six or eight year period. And it wasn't even particularly close, right? Like he held that down for a pretty long stretch. So, like you said, Washington may have been a version of that where he was third guy at best, even in best case, you know, if if he's healthy, which he wasn't, but he didn't actually go through that experience, right? He played nine games and had back surgery. So in terms of like, so, so, so what does that look like to be a role player from an experience standpoint? What are the like possible obstacles that can get in the way of Dwight being able to fulfill what he says he wants, which is to be a role player who fits in? Well, like, well, that's nice to say, but what if you get eight minutes? In yeah. in the next game, right? Like, how or do you feel about it? What if you get a DMP? What if you get a DMP? Right? Javale's got it going. For some reason, AD's playing a lot of five. The the other team doesn't have a big big or there's you know the uh, Dwight can't come up high enough on the pick and roll coverage, so he doesn't get his get minutes. You know, there there are all sorts of reasons why that could be outside of injury, right? What's Dwight's approach to it then, right? And and is the next time he get, gets into the game, he's going to be is he going to be wanting post touches, which is what he's always wanted because he wants to show some sort of value that you know prove prove the haters wrong type of thing. That's when it yeah. starts getting poisonous, right? So like, yeah, man, we'll see. But it's something he can say it all he likes, but he's in for a very different NBA experience this year than he's ever had before. And he's going to have to be very resilient to get through it. Yeah, resilience a great word. I was going to say that over the past, you know, half decade or so, one of the things that I think has been most important or the lens that we've viewed Dwight through a lot is through his physical health, right? He came off back surgery to play for the Lakers, then he ripped up his shoulder. And then ever since then, he's just sort of had an array of like nagging injuries or questions about his overall health. Where what you're talking about is sort of where is he at mentally mm-hmm. and and will he have – I hate to call it mental toughness, right? Because I think resiliency really does capture it so much better. Mm-hmm. But he is going to need to be mentally strong and in the right headspace with a lot of swirling factors, right? What I was talking about earlier in in terms of adjusting to a new stature, and you said it well as well by by sort of saying that he's been a star his entire adult basketball life, those things have changed, and those things are long gone. Adjusting to that is hard, and now adjusting to all of the actual ramifications of that will be another challenge. For him, yeah. the uh, potential DNPCDs or potential games where he gets eighteen to t- or twenty-five minutes one night, and then maybe eight minutes the next night, mm-hmm. or ten minutes, right? Or he goes a week without playing more than fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. You, you know, is he still going to be able to bounce back from those things mentally to be? 
really dialed in as much as he needs to be for a team that has the type of aspirations it has Mm -hmm. this year. And, and to me, that is where the mental side of things come, come in. And, and I'm not going to pretend to know I, I have the answers there. I want to give every player the benefit of the doubt. The fact is though, is that we have some history with Dwight Howard, not just as a Laker, but with his time in the league that cast doubt on his ability to be a person who thrives in those circumstances. I am hopeful, but I am nowhere near the point where I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's going to happen. Well, right? uh, bro, chain, changing, is, changing is hard, man. Like it, it's one thing the biggest challenge he's going to have is like, he doesn't have practice doing the things that you're saying he's going to need to do. Right. Like at what point in his life is he going to, what situation is he going to refer to where he was like, Oh yeah. I remember that time where I played eight minutes in a game because the coach didn't think I was good enough. Has he literally ever gone through that experience in his entire life? And so it's the other, in those situations when like that circumstance pops up, it's the other parts of you that you have to like lean back on and be like, all right, I, you know, I, this is where I can be stable and move into this kind of unknown situation in a way that I could still be productive. Well, does Dwight have enough? In those other areas, right? If he's struggling in other places, he was talking about that on the intro call, like that on a, it had nothing to do with basketball, but he felt like he hit rock bottom on a personal side. Well, that's tough, man. If you're in that spot where you're in rock bottom on a personal level, and then you go through new challenges in your career that you've never had to go through before. I don't know, man. That has, that has some, potentially dangerous man dangerous is probably too dramatic of a word but you get what i'm saying right now they've got that contract is built to be like well if that happens we move on and maybe we do sign noah or something like that but i just think that like this is going to be an extraordinarily challenging year for dwight like look say what you will about dwight i didn't want him back uh he is a guy that has history not only with the league but with the lakers specifically but this is one of the really talented dudes of the last 10 15 years in the nba whatever you think of him that's still true now no he is a first ballot hall of famer He's a first ballot Hall of Famer at a crossroads in his career that this is going to be one of the most fascinating seasons to me in terms of one individual player of anyone, even with all of my feelings that I have about Dwight in the first place, I can recognize that this is a pretty remarkable circumstance. I would say say this too. This is a wonderful opportunity for him. He is going to be playing with two of the best players he's ever played with, right? So he played with Kobe and Powell and Steve Nash. He played with Kobe probably Kobe's last great season. He played with James Harden before he was this level James Harden, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's not act like Dwight hasn't had some great teammates. Mm -hmm. That said, he's now going to play with, you know, sort of a, end of his prime or post-prime LeBron James and a square in his prime, Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. I think Dwight Howard's going to have an opportunity to earn the starting center job. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
he's going to have a great opportunity to sort of be a star in his role. Right. And that could easily mean for a guy like Dwight, who has basically been a walking like we have talked a bunch about LeBron James just sort of walking onto the court and getting numbers. Mm-hmm. As as a big man, Dwight Howard's kind of been just like that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. His entire career, right? His last full season um in the NBA where he was healthy was that season in Charlotte. And he was like an eighteen and twelve guy with I think like two blocks a night. Bro, that that's what makes the human element of this so important. When have we ever spent that much time before we get into the, oh, well, he's a lob threat and all of the other elements <laughs> yeah. of the like basketball, yes. right? Like we've been talking for, you know, how 25 minutes now on the idea of like what it's going to be like for Dwight. And the reason that we're doing that is because the payoff is significant. If it works out, if he's able to go through that on the personal side, the version of this of him playing alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the opportunities that will come from that, like the the payoff's huge. You know what I mean? And that's going back to the beginning of the show. That is why you signed Dwight Howard, right? Is that route that like, hey, he's able to, to keep it together. Then what? Well, then you've really got something in a way that for Reed or Noah or none of them dudes could even cl- come close to touching. No, just the, I know Dwight's not the same defensive player. The flexibility in like from the back surgery and and sort of the the resulting sort of stiffness, right? He has not been as good at at turning his hips, at dropping down in, well, well, into a stance to contain ball handlers at at, uh, the point of attack, his sort of ability to sort of change direction and 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 then be this disruptive force that was a great recovery player in order to to sort of slip back into the lane and challenge shots by by the guard attacking the front of the rim or or recover back to disrupt the lob or challenge shots at the basket should should the guard sort of um hit with a dump off pass or or hit that 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 cutting wing from from the baseline side right and where Dwight would then just turn and pivot and, and and then get vertical and and challenge at the restricted area he is no longer that sort of dynamic defensive player mm-hmm. but he is still able to challenge shots at the basket when playing in more conservative schemes and offensively he can still set rock hard screens right. roll to the front front of the rim and be a bucket getter on lobs and dump off passes right and in a lakers offense that is going to feature lebron james and anthony davis and all the gravity that they pose he is going to get high low opportunities he's going to get um lob opportunities and pick and rolls he's going to get dump off opportunities from all the defensive attention that lebron and and anthony davis draw and and dwight's always just been a great rebounder just he's just a great rebounder man he's hard to move he knows how to use his hands he is just disruptive in the paint as a guy who goes after the ball, he could be 
even in 18 minutes a night, he could be like a 12 and 8 guy. Absolutely. And let's take a little break. And uh, when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about Dwight on the basketball side of things after we hit the, you know, the human element at, at the beginning. We'll get more. Let's get more into the details after the break. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. But there's one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Laker Film Room listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. That's one word, Blue Wire. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 plus free shipping. It's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. And then next up, if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners but not betting on them? That's why there's my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's let's get into the basketball side of things. What I see, the first thing that stands out to me on this roster is Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee. That's got to be the craziest like lob threat trio like of all time, right? Like there are there other teams where you've got three pogo sticks like that. If nothing else, right? Like there are issues on the defensive end. You don't really have a stretch five, although AD's been talking about wanting to get to the high thirties, and so that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, high high thirties from three, that is. So um, you know they, they've got their issues, but just that ability to finish above the rim, I think, is is really nuts. And you've got one of the all time lob throwers in LeBron triggering that and just the overall gravity of both LeBron going to the basket and those guys at the front of the rim. I've talked a lot about how that's going to, you know, pull in the defense. You've got a lot of kick out opportunities and better shooters. Like, you know, there's versions of this where I can like, okay, that, and then this, and then, hey, we're onto something. We're three, four steps down the line and there aren't really huge flaws in certain elements, right? Um, no. Exactly. But th- yeah, that's that's what I see. No, go ahead, man, because I, I see, like, I can see I'm optimistic about some versions of this. No, I think that the X's and O's stuff is right there for the taking for Dwight Howard here. It goes back to the buy-in stuff, but let's assume that he's going to embrace a role that mm-hmm. involves all the things that that you just said. Talk to me some about what, that actually looks like on a court with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And 
a second part to that question. Are you concerned about Dwight maybe taking away pick and roll opportunities from Anthony Davis as the screen setter? Yeah, I am concerned about that. This is part of my, I didn't really love the AD JaVale fit for similar reasons. Because of the presence of JaVale and Dwight and the fact that AD doesn't want to play a ton of minutes uh, at that spot, I think AD's perimeter offense is going to be more important than we may be expecting it to be because that's where he's going to be needing to attack from more often than not, right? Uh, Last year, in New Orleans and even previous iterations, they've had a couple of, you know, stretch type guys. You have Ryan Anderson, for example, was a guy that was there for a long time. And just other guy, Maradic, guys who can shoot. AD was able to operate in better spacing in some instances than he's going to be able to operate in under this year's team. So his ability to operate from the perimeter, you know, like he's him talking about shooting better from three, this is exactly the type of circumstance where that's going to be important is because you're going to have guys in on the low block in the dunker spot rather than spaced out in a five out spot behind the, the three point line. And so that just, you know, changes your angles. He's going to have to make some more drive and dish type reads that I think he's capable of, but he has only shown flashes of throughout his career. That's going to have to become more of a regular thing. So I I, I don't love the fit in that respect. So I'm curious before, you know, I address the other elements of what you asked, just that particular thing. What do you, do you have that same concern about the spacing that I do? Oh, I definitely do. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think of some of the things that Philly had to manage, for example, in, the playoffs last season, the 76ers, mm-hmm. right? right? Ben Simmons ended up being a guy who sort of like hovered in the dunky, like in the dunker spot a lot, while Jimmy Butler hand handled the ball up high and Joel Embiid sort of floated between the three point line and the low post. And that is definitely a configuration that I feel like the Lakers are going to be having to manage a fair amount with their center being parked where Ben Simmons was parked, LeBron handling the ball up high a lot, and Anthony Davis sort of in that Joel Embiid role where he is splitting time between the perimeter and and the low post. One of the things I like about Anthony Davis is he has a fairly nifty in-between game because his touch is so great. So Davis hits a lot of runners he hits a lot of floaters. He's pretty good at turning over his shoulder and, and and sort of hitting these these fadeaway jumpers that get nice bounces around the rim. Those aren't the most ideal shots from like an analytics perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Those those like six to fourteen foot jumpers from from all kinds of of angles. He can hit those shots though. Yeah. Yeah. And he can be a threat, and he will draw defensive attention from those spots. One of the things that I'm hopeful about is that in in these types of lineups, the Lakers should be monsters on the offensive glass. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And while the rest of the team, while the rest of the league has has zigged a little bit, the Lakers might zag some by playing sure. these bigger lineups and and making teams match up with them. 
what did Golden State always struggle with, right? Those teams that could really crash the offensive boards. You remember those OKC teams with like Steven Adams and, and I think Kendrick Perkins was on that team, but they were just, they'd have Nick Collison there and just like, oh, these big Ibaka, dudes, Durant, right? Ibaka, right? right. And so like they'd always, they'd be in the game or they'd be up because it's like, you know, offensive rebounds are 19 to eight, right? In this game, like that. And that's the story of the game. So there is some, validity to to that right to that zigging when everybody else is zagging well one thing that came up and i apologize for for cutting you off but i I can't get this out of my mind from what you were describing like rondo look i i understand that that myself and you know and and you and, and us in the blogosphere and all of that are lower on rondo than the people who are actually in charge of making these decisions right so i'm already i tweeted this tonight i'm already emotionally prepared for preparing myself for rondo to get way more minutes than he deserves but even if you accept the premise that rondo is still a, a good player Let's just do that for the sake of argument. Even if you accept that, you cannot play him in this type of lineup where you've got the two bigs. Like, just think of the spacing. We're, we're talking about spacing issues with Dwight down there. You can't put a Rondo. You probably can't even put Bradley, to be honest, uh, in, unless he's, you know, I, I, he's good enough on the wide open shots. But still, guys are going to dig down hard off of him. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like you can survive one guy, like the type of guy that we're talking about with Dwight in spacing and all of that, but everybody else has got to be able to shoot to shoot it. Am I, I know I took this in a different direction, but am I, you know, am I crazy for that? No, that's super important. I think that you're probably looking at either Bradley KCP, maybe Quinn Cook, maybe Alex Caruso. I, like, I do not think Rajon Rondo can start at point guard, even if it's JaVale McGee, that's the center. Like I don't think Rondo can start at point guard regardless. I I just do not see it, right? I could see it maybe if Anthony Davis was playing center and Kyle Kuzma and LeBron James were in the lineup with Danny Green, right? And Rondo's your one non-shooter. That's yes. what I'm saying. You can survive one guy like that. But two is very difficult. No, two is difficult. And then especially since LeBron and Davis are still players who threatened the front of the rim so extensively as part of their offensive arsenal that Mm -hmm. teams are going to dare them to shoot the outside jumper, right? And so Davis and LeBron definitely have gravity at the three-point line, but where they have the most gravity is at the front of the rim, and defenses treat them as such, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Just from a spacing standpoint, teams, individual defenders are already going to be playing those guys a certain way in order to sort of cut off the driving angles to avoid giving up layups. So you cannot, you absolutely cannot play Rondo at all. In those lineups where Dwight and LeBron James are on the floor together, you just cannot do it. Like Rondo, to me, his his ideal role is in second units where either Anthony Davis is playing center or JaVale 
or Dwight or playing center, right? So any of those three guys can be playing center next next to him, but every other player around him needs to be a shooter. Like, I honestly think that, say LeBron James is going to play 32 minutes a night, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's So that's 16 minutes without LeBron in, in the game. All of Rajon Rondo's minutes need to come from those 16 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a big mistake if they put him in the starting lineup where you're playing at least the first six minutes together normally. You're getting 12 minutes a game right there of them them. That's together. two shifts. That's two shifts too many, right? Like, I could understand an overlap of two to four minutes a game, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just situational substitutions make it so that there is overlap with those guys that's going to happen there's it's not going to be you you know however many minutes that lebron james plays next season like you know 2500 minutes or whatever and zero of those are with rajon rondo right you know what i mean that said if it's an 82 game season and let's just say that Rondo and LeBron both play like 70 games then the number of minutes that they play together should be un should like 150 mm-hmm. you know like honestly like 200 at the most mhm like yeah. that's just yeah. right which is basically on average <sighs> 3 minutes a game like 2 and a half to 3 minutes a game that's really all it should be and that's not to say that like look i'm not a huge rondo fan at this point of his career that being said i'm not one to say that he he can't still have a value add to a team it's just that in order to bring that value he needs to be put in optimized situations and the Lakers need to understand that you cannot put him in lineups with certain players. And, and honestly, man, like one of those players is LeBron James, like the, the overlap between what both players should be doing on the floor is way too high. That was reflected in the plus minus numbers last year too, right? Like this is one of those places where both the tape matches up and with the data, right? And it's for, we know the reasons why that's what the film provides, but the what, like they were a minus, like gosh, five point something, I think, uh, you know, may, may have been worse in the second half of the year and as was the case with everyone, but for the whole year, it was in negative territory, and it was the only regular Lakers player where the Lakers got outscored when LeBron James was on the court, and that guy was too. It, like it, the the discrepancy was massive. So it's something that it's such a it's such a screaming. It's so obvious that I. That's why I'm like already getting myself worked up about this idea that the politics of it dictates that. You know, Rondo is very well liked by important people who make decisions for the Lakers. And I'm not even sure if that includes Frank Vogel. This is actually, I was saying this to a friend earlier today. How, what Rondo's role is and how many minutes he plays will tell me a lot about Frank Vogel. It will either, if Rondo is playing a lot, it will tell me that he either is evaluating poorly or he doesn't have that much power in the first place. So that's going to be something that I will be keeping an eye on early in the season with the full expectation that Rondo is going to play and play 
pretty significant minutes. But I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was, we saw it on tape last year. We saw it in the numbers. This is not. Here are the numbers. Thank you. 35 games, 602 minutes. They shared the floor. Offensive rating 106.2, defensive rating 110.7, minus 4.5 net rating. Yeah, that's, uh, it's that's, remarkable. That's bad. That's like if you were to play with a minus 4.5 net rating as a team for a year, you're a 25 win team. You know, that we play like a 25 win team, basically, when LeBron and Rondo were on the court together, which was for not an insignificant number of minutes, right? So it, it, it's just something we don't have time to screw around this year. We don't have time to play like the politics and be like, oh, this guy's well liked. The Lakers need to put the dudes out there who can hoop. I, you know, it's September and I don't know why I'm working myself up like this. You know, because Lord knows I'm not going to make it to the end of the year if I'm getting this worked up about this now. But I just feel like I see it coming. And it's just, I don't know, man, like we we can't do this again. They really can't, man. Like, I'm I'm quite hopeful. I'm just quite hopeful that Vogel and entirely new, new staff have the power to make whatever decision they think is best and not keep and not be interfered with by folks who may have um different ideas about Rondo. FYI, Alex Caruso and LeBron James, they only played 147 minutes together. 111.8 offensive rating, 102.1 defensive rating plus 9.6 net rating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember there was a Toronto game. Caruso made this read on a split cut. There were two plays back to back and Toronto was switching. So it was one of those possessions where LeBron has the ball at the elbow, a little bit higher than the elbow, which is usually where those catches happen somewhere between the elbow and the three point line. Right. And so he's catching it. He caught it in triple threat and Caruso went to set a down screen in flex motion. Right. So he's going to make that entry pass usually in a horn set. Then Cruz was going to set like a cross screen for the shooter to make the flex cut. That cut's going to come from the corner to the middle of the court. Then Cruz pops out for a handoff. It's this very, pretty much every team runs flex motion to one degree or another, but it, you know, it's, it's a read that a lot of players make. Well, one of the ways you beat that is when, when that gets switched and, that getting switched is a relatively popular way of guarding that because usually you have your one setting a cross screen for your two or your three. And in this day's era, the cross, that like that's not a, a big little type switch. So you're willing to switch one through four, which is what a lot of teams do. But one of the ways that you can beat that is I, I used to always teach my kids uh, switch equals slip, meaning that if they're switching and you'll usually hear defenders on the court, like being switch, switch or whatever their word is for that. And you'll know that very early on, um, whatever their word is saying that they're going to switch. I used to say, whenever you hear that cut to the basket, if you're the screen setter, because there's this, this little moment of time on the switch where your defender is behind you. And you, if you just dive to the basket, you've got an open, 
open jumper. That was something uh, the Warriors really take care take advantage of this a lot with a lot of those you know dives to the basket that Draymond will make from slipping a screen or Looney or something like that. Anyhow, those opportunities. There, there was a play like that in a game against Toronto where Caruso set that. And they were switching it, and the first time he didn't make that read. But on the second time, they ran the same play, and he made that read. And I swear to God, Darius, I've been waiting two and a half years at that point for somebody to make that effing read to just slip to the basket off of that. And Crusoe got, I think, an and one, or got fouled, I think, on it. So it's that I, you know, I babbled about one single play, but that play to me was indicative of how Caruso can work off of LeBron like... Like, Rondo has LeBron's respect, and I get that. Like, Rondo is more of a peer to LeBron, and LeBron will see him that way, than than Caruso, right? Just based off of resume. But Caruso can hoop. Like, Caruso understands how basketball works in a way that you need your role players to to do that. And so that th- that particular play that I, I talked about, the net rating, which what, you said, what, was plus 9.6 or something in limited minutes. But there are reasons why those numbers look that way. And and those are some of them. And so it's it's just, I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just worried about this. No, and I'm, I mean, I know that we tangentially got back on to rush on Rondo when yeah sorry Dwight yeah when we didn't really want want to but but this is like the domino effect of the roster right and the choices that the Lakers have made last year they tried to rectify some of their shooting issues but right they they traded Evita Zubots and they traded him from Mike Muscala to be sort of a stretch five. That did not work. When the Lakers came to building their roster this year, they tried to rectify that sum again by signing DeMarcus Cousins, who definitely has stretch stretchability. Cousins is injured and now going through his own legal issues. And as a replacement, there's not like they're like stretch fives grow, will grow on trees. And, and so the Lakers doubled down and with another sort of rim running, lob catching, shot blocking big man, very mm-hmm. similar to the other big man they have at center already, JaVale McGee, right? Mm-hmm. And what that does now is sort of limit the utility of the players who then fit in in lineups next to guys who will have to play next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis when they're flanked by either Dwight Howard or well, 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 or JaVale McGee. And what you want are shooters to do that, right? right? So Danny Green is definitely going to be one one of those guys. And the other player is going to ideally is going to be a low usage sort of quasi ball handling guard who proves that he can shoot the three ball at a little bit above a league average level, right? Like mm-hmm. 37, 38, and hopefully approaching forward 40%. I think KCP can be a player like that when he's at his best. What the best version of him is definitely like that. I think mm-hmm. Avery Bradley can sort of be like that. And Alex Caruso is a bit of an unknown when mm-hmm. it comes to that, right? Like he just is. His samples as a shooter are relatively small. 
I wrote about Caruso last week and and sort of posed the question, is Alex Caruso the the best option for the Lakers at point guard? And I kind of came to the conclusion that he is. He is. He is. That's not how it's going to go <laughs> at the beginning. I mean, I'd be shocked if it was. But yeah, I, I think there's a strong argument to be made that he is. He makes the most money of any of the guys, right? It's either him or Quinn Cook. I think Quinn Cook makes a little bit. No, Avery Bradley makes the most because he got the MLE. Oh, sure. That's right. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, uh, I'm talking of guys who actually play point guard. Bradley right, is, I, Bradley, you, I guess, is a combo guard. Bradley He's, can guard ones. And yes. I think that in that starting lineup, that may be all you need. Yeah. And so can Caruso. So, uh, yo, man, hey, like I said, I'm just saying that, like, but, but you know, let's in the real world, Avery, Avery Bradley has more respect from basketball people than Alex Caruso does. So does Rajon Rondo. Right. Yeah. They have built up credibility over years. It's like reputation is a lagging indicator, right? Like you you lose it way before people realize that you lose it. And so in the real world, like it, I, I'm just saying, I will be very surprised in that locker room if Alex Crusoe emerges as a starter. And if he does, he's just going to have to play so much better he's than everybody gonna, else in training camp and, yes. and preseason that it's not even a question. He's just going to have to ball the hell out. He's going to have to bust everyone's ass. Absolutely. What what you're saying. Which, look, man, that's entirely possible. It is. Considering it is. this group mm-hmm. of guards. It like, is. he is the player. He is the player with the broadest breadth of skills at the point guard position. Right. He can defend. He can shoot. The ball hopefully, to hopefully, what success yeah. level over the course of a full season remains to be seen, but he can shoot the ball. He can finish at the basket, right? As with with force, he is a smart cutter. He is a smart screener. He can he can initiate your offense. He can do everything that the Lakers will want. He's not the shooter Quinn Cook is, but he's a much better defender. He's not the playmaker that Rajon Rondo is or passer, but he has, but he approaches that in terms of feel and he's a much better defender and a more reliable shooter and cutter, right? Mm -hmm. And he is a better ball handler and offensive initiator than Avery Bradley and KCP. And and is probably a better defensive player than KCP overall. Mm-hmm. Definitely a more physical defender than KCP. Able to switch and better on the backboards. And right. you you know, and he's probably right there with the best version of Bradley, which the league has not seen in a couple in a of while. seasons. Yeah. At yeah. least, right? And, and and so he takes a little bit of every single player's strengths. And he has the least glaring weaknesses, which sometimes is even more important. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that. One of the things that is going to define how good this Lakers season goes are what role players take the least off of the table. Right. When viewed through that prism... Caruso is going to be very important to this team. 
at the end of things. He like like he just is. Like I and on a certain level, and this will bring it back full circle, and this may be a good place to wrap, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. is that the the best version of Dwight Howard will be the same way in terms of taking fewer things off of the table. The question is, and it gets back to the question that we started off the pod with, is where is he at mentally with the ability and desire to buy in to that best version? Because if he if if he can buy in, then the lob catching, rim running, defensive backboard crashing, and and restrictive restricted area shot challenging big man he can do all of those things at a plus level well this uh this is one of my favorite pods that we've ever done thank you for giving me almost three hours of your time on a random monday night my man uh really enjoyed it uh you've been listening to laker film room podcast and we will catch you guys next time Give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get warmed up. I know it does take you a while to think. He bounded Lottie. Nice rebound. The Lottie. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under. It scores. Woo! Family motivation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.